Thank you guys for tuning in to more than Prison Wide Podcast. So I have another story. Um, someone sent me a link to this story. I haven't read it yet, um, but it's off of Medium. I love Medium. I used to actually have a subscription with them. They have a lot of, you know, different topics type of deal. So it's kind of like you writing your own stories and publishing them. You can get paid for it, but of course I think it has to reach a certain amount of uh, numbers in order for that to happen. Um, but here I will go ahead and read you guys this story. How it really feels to be a prison wife. This is by Emma Love. And um, this was posted in 2017. Yesterday I posted another story to my Facebook feed about a man who died on the floor of his cell in a local county jail of terrible injuries. For more than five hours... A Yamahill County Jail inmate writhed in pain on his mattress, clutched his side, walked 19 times on the floor to press an intercom button for help and urinated blood in the toilet inside the cell, but no one came to help Jed Hawk Myers, according to jail records, video, and police investigative, investigative reports. So that's kind of a link to the story. Um, these stories don't surprise me anymore. I only posted this one of my many similar stories because it was local and because the fact that he died on the day he was to be released makes it more poignant. He was in jail because of a parole violation. He was 34. He had a five-year-old girl, a fiance, parents, a sister. They are still grieving. When I read stories like this, I always scroll down on the comments. I want to know how people feel. I'm searching for a sign that they care because this is a very... Um, because this is every family member's worst nightmare. Their loved one dying alone in pain with the medical staff ignores their cries for help. Stories like this make me feel helpless and terrified. It's an ongoing stressor in my life and will be until my husband is released. On this story, as is typical stories like this, many of the comments are in some version of, if he didn't want to die, he shouldn't have been in jail. Americans especially often seem completely merciless when it comes to incarceration. I think this is a result of decades of humanization of people who have committed crimes throughout every kind of media. In this case, this picture shows a man who is clean cut, white, no visible tattoos or other obvious class makers. He looks like someone who you see at a coffee shop in downtown Portland. So in the case at least, so in this case at least, it's not racism or classism or other stereotypes. It's purely incarcerationism. It's a judgment that if you've been in jail or prison, you're now tainted and deserve everything bad that ever happens to you, up to and including dying horribly. How do you come back from the kind of dehumanization as a society? There are no pride marches of the current or formerly incarcerated and their families. There is no movement to understand and emphasize with people who are criminal justice involved. Nobody complains if you make a joke at a prison's expense. As a prison wife, I'm experienced that people also think I deserve the pain I go through for choosing to be with someone in prison. I don't talk about it very much because there's always that voice saying, well, you, choo you chose it. But it's really the same dehumanizing voice. It says, your pain doesn't matter. You don't deserve compassion. There's something wrong with you or this wouldn't be happening to you. And what voice is the voice of America? No, and that voice is the voice of America towards people in prison and the people who love them. The voice plays out every day across jails and prisons and courtrooms. 
It is embedded in the lack of medical care and harsh sentencing and denial of parole year after year. And the rampant use of solitary confinement and the sentencing juveniles to life in prison, it is every part of the system down to all the petty rules I have to follow every day to visit my husband. It's baked into the walls and barbed wire. Your pain doesn't matter. You deserve to suffer. No amount of suffering is enough. You can die for all we care. That's the voice of society toward well over 2 million people. Far more if you count if you count family members and those who have a criminal history but are not currently incarcerated. After three and a half years of being with a man who's in prison, that voice has changed me. It hurts. It's not a hurt I can name very well. It just feels like I'm not part of society anymore. Not really. Because I have been through so much suffering, so much pain, anxiety, worry, stress, grief, just for loving someone who committed a crime. I don't want to be a part of a society where loving someone makes you deserve suffering. I don't want to be a part of society that leaves people to die in the system like this after bathing them with shame. Prison is an alternation producing machine. Alienation producing machine. Prison is both a symptom of and cause of deep social disease. We need each other. A healthy human society depends on the bonds between individuals. It is a lack of those bonds that allows dehumanization to grow. If you don't know anyone in prison, it is almost impossible to make assumptions about them. Including the assumption that if they are being treated appropriately, that someone else is taking care of it. Instead of a personal experience, we fill in the blanks in our minds with TV shows, courtroom dramas that begin with a gruesome crime and end with people <laughs> taken away in handcuffs. Bad people, evil people. People who deserve to be punished. Over and over, I've seen people referring to people in prison as rapists and murderers. Even though these crimes account for a small percentage of people in prison. And in those shows, they leave out so much. They don't show the person's kids crying as they leave the visiting room after saying goodbye to their dad. Week after week, year after year. They don't show that child's face began to harden as they grow up. To trying to make sense of why their father can't come home. They don't show the confusion, the pain, the dis disillusionment and produces to make a primary bond that became strained. And oftentimes broken because of an event that feels so much away from the present and which could never be repaired, addressed or resolved. They don't show the pain that has no name, the pain of your heart being crushed by a system that prizes security at all costs. There is no price in human connection or human potential that is too high to pay for the safety that people feel prison provides, even when that safety has been shown to be false. And there is a willing full ignorance to believing that only the people who have been committed the crime to pay the price. Prison is a sentence given to an entire Family. Say it again. Prison is a sentence given to an entire family. To think otherwise is to deny the most basic need of humans for connection with those they love. Humans adapt to discomfort and deprivation. It is a cost of connection that makes prison a place of despair. I have always wanted to heal the world, but how do you heal this? How do you repair a society that has a built that has built machines to destroy the bonds that hold society together. I am still looking for an answer. 
Sometimes I despair that there is no answer. Is that what humanity is? Can we do something else? And how do we change what we have become? I know you can't solve a problem until you can see it, listen to it, and communicate about it. But this is a very hard topic to talk about. I'm a writer. I have already written anything about it in three years. I feel the weight of the shame it produces. I hear all the questions people have asked me tingled with fear and doubt and judgment whether they want to judge or not. I understand because I felt and thought the same thing when I first stepped into a prison as a volunteer. It took me years to work through them. I still find the conditioning lurking in my brain sometimes. How can I explain everything I've experienced when it comes to complete opposite of everything that people believe? How can I ask for mercy for people who we have been trained to believe not, who do not deserve it? The gap feels vast and I still do not know how to bridge it. And it's hard to believe that anyone cares to when I read stories like one linked above and see the comments. Bridges have to be built from both directions, right? By writing this, I'm asking you to care. I'm asking you to consider what it would feel like if someone you knew, love right now, someone whose presence in your life you take for granted was suddenly gone. And the only way you can see them was to travel to an institution, go through a metal detector, pass the wall, the barbed wire, several gates, and talk to them across a little table while being observed on camera and by an officer a few feet away. Or if you'd rather, you could pay $10 to talk on the phone for an hour, knowing it, will be, it was being recorded and the person you are talking to is on a prison yard, having to be constantly aware of what is around him to stay safe. What would that conversation be like? What would it do to the connection you have with this person? For it to be require so much effort and discomfort to be close to them. Connections wither under these circumstances. When you go to prison, you're, you lose your friends quickly and your family slowly. The only people left year after year in the visiting room are the spouses and a few dedicated parents and siblings. It takes an immense amount of dedication to maintain a relationship with someone in prison. Studies have constantly shown that maintaining close ties with family leads to better post-release outcomes and lower residism, residivism, I believe is the word. So why would a prison be structured in a way that makes closeness almost impossible? If we know what is healthy, why do we have a system that does the opposite? I don't know how to change the system. It's huge, entrenched, and resistant to change. doesn't begin to cover it. All I can do is tell you what I'm experiencing and asking you to consider that the idea you have of prison is not all what it really is. Because there are a whole lot of people who are suffering, who are completely locked away, out of sight, without anyone to speak for them. They can't come ask you to care about them. They need you to remember they are there and have been there, sometimes for decades. They need you to imagine that they are not the monsters you've been told they are. They could be your brother. They could be your child, your partner. They have family that they don't, they don't get to be with. There's a missing piece in a family where they used to belong. They feel regret, remorse, just as you imagine, imagine you would if you did something wrong. They made mistakes. 
But what if we could give people a path to redemption instead of endless punishment? Isn't that what you would want for yourself or someone you love? What have we lost as a society when we no longer consider people able to be healed, helped, redeemed, and rehabilitated? What do we believe about our town, humanity, if think that despair and shame will inspire people to be good? I don't see how you can make people better, humans, by treating them as less than human. A healthy society would have to be founded on the idea of honoring human connection and honoring the fact that we all need each other. A society like that would never build a person. Because the one thing prison says louder than anything else, we don't need you. But it's a lie. And that lie has to be faced for us to heal from it. They need you. And you need them. You just don't know it yet because we all need each other. That is what it means to be human. Again, that story was written by Emma Love. Uh, her last name, I believe, is Arabogast. Um, but it, it's kind of a little hard for me to say, but I think it's Arabogast. But man, I know I kind of got choked up on that story because you really feel it when you're in it. You know what I mean? And um, that's tough. That's tough. It, it almost makes you reopen your eyes, but open your eyes to other things that you didn't even think that were there or that you felt. Or maybe you have been feeling the feeling, but couldn't communicate it as a, a term or, or, or feeling in words. Um, man, she hit everything on the nail there. And that is so true. Like when I go to visits, I feel like I can't even, I can't even really be myself because I'm constantly being watched. And I, I totally understand, you know, contraband, things like that. But I don't even, I don't even feel comfortable kissing my husband because I'm being watched on camera by film. You know, one of the hardest things was... The other, probably about a, a month and a half ago, maybe two months, I took my daughter to go visit her dad, and he hadn't seen her in a really long time, and he was so happy to see her, and he was talking to her, and it, and it was really tough, you know, to watch her so happy to, to see him, and him so happy to see her. But she almost, she kind of was like, um, you know, standing there and he bent down and he hugged her and he stood there for a long time hugging her. And I kept telling him, babe, you got to get up. We got to walk over there to go sit down. But he's the kind of person that he'll bend the rules a little bit or try to bend the rules or uh, he's always telling me all the time, like, babe, just relax. Like, you got to live life. And I'm like. But you don't understand, we're being watched every move and I don't want to be told in front of other people and just period that, hey, you need to sit down or you need to stop doing that or you guys can't do this. So he eventually sat down and he was talking to my daughter uh, for a long time and he would, she would go over there and like just talk to him, baby talk and like trying to pronounce stuff and she kept going on his side and he kept saying come here journey come here and he was trying to like sit her on his lap and just really love her and uh, it was cool for a minute maybe a good 30 minutes and I kept telling my husband babe 
I don't think that they allow that. I think you got to stop doing that, calling her over there. I'm pretty sure they're going to tell us something. And the seal that was watching, he hadn't done the visitation room at all. And he was an older guy. And, uh, you know, the people on the cameras, they watch everything. So he got radioed and they told him that he cannot do that, that she has to stay seated the whole time and she cannot sit on his lap can't hug her, can't kiss her, uh, she has to stay on her side. That was really tough because it is so true. And when she touched on like the loving part and the part of feeling loved and, and all that, and it's it's like, how can you feel that? When it's like everything that you do, you're being watched. You can't do this, you can't do that. And it that's tough. That really is tough. When she said having to be constantly aware of what is around him to stay safe. What would that conversation be like? What would it do to the connection you have with the person? For it to be required so much effort and discomfort to be close to them. Connections with under these circumstances. And it's like I it's hard like you know like to feel like. You get a few seconds to hug, to kiss, to love, and then that's it. And it's always it's always a feeling of you want more, but but you can't. Not until the next time. Thank you guys for listening to More Than a Prison Wife podcast. I hope you guys enjoyed this story by Emma. This is a great, great story. Remember, being the light means touching the darkness. I'll see you guys on the next one.